Bible nearby. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Those three songs we just did, you may, you may not know them. You might be too young to know those songs. But at one point, that was a regular, those were like regulars uh, at the ring a long time ago. Uh, but regardless, I mean, full of some pretty intense truth in those songs and very much in line with where we've been the last couple weeks and where God kind of has us as a congregation right now. Uh, we spent a few weeks looking at uh, patterns of thinking uh, in the world that, in regard to who God is and uh, just the fact that Paul tells us not to conform to those patterns, uh, of those patterns of thinking in the world. And by world, we're talking about uh, everything that's around us has, has been impacted by sin. So, uh, so basically people and, of course, the earth and uh, everything about us all of our, the way that we think, the way that we look at the world, the way that uh, that fleshes out in literature and in uh, entertainment and in the way that people talk and think and make decisions and raise their kids and, and all those kinds of things. That's, that's what we see. Those are the patterns of the world and that's where it comes from. And, and so Paul says, don't conform to the way that, that the world thinks. And so for us as Christians... You know, he's saying you, um, you have a new way of thinking that's available to you because of what Jesus has done. And so the way that the world thinks about certain things, that's not what you should conform to. You should, you should let Jesus teach you how to think differently, essentially. And that's, so that's kind of where we've been the last few weeks, is looking at specifically some of the patterns of the world in regard to how people think about God and how they view God, who He is, what His character is like, how He interacts with us, those kinds of things. And we see what those perceptions are uh, in, in the world, in, in fallen humanity. And we've been looking at some of those things and then looking at what God tells us in His Word as a, as a way of renewing our minds. And Jesus renews our minds and says, that's the pattern that you don't need to conform to. Here's the new pattern that I have laid down for you. And I will transform your life by teaching you how to think differently about it. So tonight what we're going to do is, tonight and in the next two weeks, we're going to sort of shift gears a little bit. We're going to keep looking at patterns of the world, but now we're going to kind of look inward. We're going to look at patterns uh, in regard to how people view themselves and how we, um, well, not we as Christians, but just how humans tend to uh, arrive at their, their kind of self-awareness, their self-perception. And, and so if you were to go up to them and say, tell me, like, who are you? Like, just describe who you are to me. There are things that people would end up saying and so we're going to look at some of those patterns over the next couple of weeks and then look at God's Word and let Him show us the pattern of the world that we don't need to conform to, the renewed mind and what thinking in the kingdom of God and, and the Jesus thinking pattern that, that is there and allow God to transform us as He teaches us how to think differently about ourselves. And so um, I was you know, trying to kind of figure out where to go because if you're like, okay, three weeks on how identity basically fleshes out in the patterns of the world. We could spend months and months and months here. Um, and so what I just kind of prayed and was asking the Lord, just like, just narrow it down. You know, like, where do you start with this? And in that process, he, of course, took me to the movie Gladiator. Uh, obviously, because that's where 
That's where all identity starts, right? Um, I think in the movie Gladiator, there's this scene, and we're not going to show a clip from it, because I think the testosterone in the level in the room would just like shoot through the roof and we'd all end up fighting. Uh, that's not what we're going for tonight. Uh, but it'll be on TV later tonight, so you can go home. If this like pumps you up, you can go watch it. Uh, but there's this scene, and um, you probably already know where I'm, where I'm headed with this. Um, so you have Russell Crowe is the gladiator, Maximus. His identity has been concealed from someone who thinks that he is dead. And there's this scene where he takes his helmet off, and the, he's being provoked. And he's like, tell, you know, tell us your name, tell us your name. And, and so he takes his helmet off. He turns around, and this is the quote that, that he says. Um, so in response to tell us your name, which is really he's just saying, like, who are you? Reveal your identity to us, gladiator. Takes off his helmet, turns around. This is what he says. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. And of course, Joaquin Phoenix kind of trembles a little bit, and it's just, it's awesome. It's so good. And I was trying to find a clip that I was just going to show it, maybe like just as much of that clip. And there's like tons of terrible impressions of him that you should just go home and YouTube later on. So bad. And I was like, I should, I should act like I'm going to show a clip of this and just show the worst one I could find. But I was like, that person's made in the image of God, and I probably shouldn't make fun of them at church, you know. Uh, so, you just do that on your own. But, um, just kidding. But I think that this statement, now... I know that this is, this is I'm, just let me use this statement, okay? Because I think in this really, really well-written scene, I think we see kind of what the, some patterns of the world in regard to how people view themselves. And maybe if somebody were to come up to be like, who, who are you? Tell me who you are. Maybe you wouldn't rattle off something as intense as this. But I think that there are some patterns that we see out there in, like I said, in literature, especially like in literature and movies and, and TV shows and stuff, but that, I think, is just a reflection of how, how people talk and how people think and how people approach things. Um, and so let me point out a couple of things that I believe are part of this pattern in regard to uh, identity. First of all, he says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. And really, that's just another way of, of stating like who, uh, you're basically saying your reputation, Right? Because that's really what, what a name is. And, I, you know, you, you hear people say sometimes at funerals, like, you know, when, when someone passes away, like, you know, he had a good name. It doesn't mean his parents named him well. You know, it means he had a good reputation. Like, when you hear that name, you think of certain things. And I think that that's such a big identity marker for people in our world is, is what do people think about me? When they hear my name... What, what things come to mind? And we watch people's names change over time. You know, you, five years ago, if you had said the name Joe Paterno, uh, certain things would have come to mind. And now, you say the name Joe Paterno, and different things come to mind. And in a hundred years, who knows what will come to mind? Maybe people are like, what's, who's he? You know, hope, you know whatever. Uh, but I'm just saying that like, when people hear a name, that's, you, that's kind of what we're saying is, what's your reputation? What do people think about you? So for Maximus, he knows when I say my name, they're going to know who I am, because I'm a famous warrior. 
And the guy that he's talking to thinks that he's dead because he was responsible for his killing. And so he knows that at just, just his reputation, uh, that, that that's it. And I think that's such a big thing for people nowadays, to the point where uh, I think people build so much of their identity on what others think about them that it, it becomes this, uh, this thing that you kind of almost like build a fort around like your reputation and what people think. So that when people, when people are praising you and people have good things to say, you know, that's awesome. But if somebody starts a rumor about you or if somebody doesn't like you, someone says something negative, someone makes fun of you, something like that, people who find all their identity and what others think about them, they, they crumble in that. But that's kind of the world that we live in. That's why they have image consultants and that's why uh, politicians, you know, have all part of their political staff. They're always trying to make sure that public perception is good and positive in certain things. They're always trying to spin things certain ways. And I think that a, that a lot of our world functions that same way. We may not have somebody on our personal staff that's making sure that our like reputation is always good, but a lot of people find a lot of their worth and value in what other people think about them. John Ortberg calls it approval addiction. I think a lot of us have it. It's definitely something that we see in, in our world. So he says what his name is, and that's, like I said, it's just really your reputation. Then he goes to command, commanders of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legion's loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. So he goes from his, kind of basically his reputation into like his, like what he does. Um, so he's a, like he's a military guy. He's a loyal military guy. I think this is another pattern that we see because people get their identity wrapped up in like what they do. Now, that could be occupation. You know, a lot of people, if you're asking, well, tell me what you, you know, tell me about yourself. Well, what's the first thing they're going to say? Usually, and they're right at the beginning of their answer is going to be what they do for a living, what they were trained to do, what they wound up doing, or whatever. People find lots of identity in, in their work or in their lack of work sometimes. People find really good, like, like, a, like a real positive sense of identity and like, oh, I'm an engineer, you know. And somebody else might find, might have a low, like a poor like, sense of identity because they aren't proud of what they do necessarily. Um, but that's one of those patterns. People find their identity in what they do. Uh, so it could be occupation. It could also just be just like hobbies, you know. Like guys who are guys who are like, well, you know, like this is what I do for a living, but I, what I really do is I I kill deer, you know, like I'm a, I'm in the woods, like I'm an outdoorsman, you know, or um, you know, like people who have those kind of hobbies, like well, you know, I do this, but I'm really like a golfer. That's like my my main thing, or I I'll just whatever. I'll stop at all the stereotypical like dude stuff. Uh, but 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 people get real hung up in that, um, in in being being well, I'm, I'm athletic, or I'm really I'm really good with with computers, or I kind of do this, or I do this, or I do this, or um, sometimes it's, you know, I'm a, I'm a parent, I'm a spouse, you know, like, that's, that's, that's what I do, like, this is where my paycheck comes from, but really, like, I'm, I'm, like, with my kids, that's my main deal, you know, or whatever, um, and I think there's a, there's a lot of people that find their worth in that, too, you know, um, so it could be, like I said, it could be occupation, could be just kind of your hobbies, or, like, where you really invest your time, what you find yourself doing the most, um, it could be also just some like personality stuff sometimes. Like, I'm the funny guy, you know, or I'm the, I'm the cynical one, you know, I'm the encouraging one, I'm the, I'm the like never says anything, but when I do, it's super profound one, you know, or, or whatever. Uh, and, and so people, we find all kind of identity wrapped up in, in some of those different things as far as like what we do. 
And like I said, sometimes that, that, that's a, it's a positive self-worth, and sometimes it's very, very low because you think, oh, I'm just this, I'm just this, I'm just this. Uh, in our world, that's where a lot of people find their sense of identity is what they do. And the third thing, uh, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife. I think our experiences, sometimes we let, we let those things define us as well. I think that's a pattern of the world. Uh, so, um, being a husband and being a father, like those are two experiences that I think Maximus would find a lot of identity in. And that, that's great. Yeah. But those experiences of getting married, of becoming a dad, uh, a parent, some of those like big, life-altering things that you go through, people find a lot of their identity in that. And there's also, there's some negative in there too. Because... His wife was killed. Kid was killed. And so that grief and that struggle that he went through is another uh, defining experience, I think, for us sometimes. And so here in this one statement, you see, you see some of the best things of his life and some of the worst things of his life kind of pressed into one. And a lot of people in our world, that's, they find their identity in those experiences. And sometimes it is with positive stuff, you know, like, like getting married and becoming a parent and that kind of stuff. And, and, and I, I'm not you know, saying that that's a bad thing. It can be a bad thing, but sometimes, you know, people kind of idolize that. But for the most part, a lot of times it's like really good. Like, no, that's a good thing to identify with, right? Being, being a spouse, you know, being a parent. Sometimes it kind of gets, gets out of whack a little bit. We're going we're gonna to kind of talk about that in a little bit. I think those really good experiences are defining for a lot of people, but also it's the net negative stuff, you know, the grief that we've been through, um, people who have been who have been abused, people who have um, struggled with addictions of different sorts. I think sometimes those really painful things we tend to label ourselves. It's not that other people label us; it's that we label ourselves sometimes, and we see those difficult things that we walk through as like identity markers for us. And so uh, I think if, if you take his statement and you put all that together, I think those three big areas of what other people think about me and what I do and what I have experienced, I think you press that together and I think Maximus, that's, a, that's where his identity is being derived from. I think it's from a mixture of all those things together. And it propels him because all three of those things fit into that last statement, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. That is what is driving him forward. Is that he's the warrior, and he's the widower, and he's the one who has grieved, and he has come out of this pain, and he's going to channel all that pain into making this guy pay. That's what, that's what identity does for us. That's what I, identity, like that is so much of what propels us and pushes us forward in life, is how do you see yourself? And there are people who, who end up with a tremendous amount of anxiety or depression, people who have tons of pride and arrogance, people who have, are so insecure that it just keeps them in a prison, and all these kinds of things that come out of a misplaced sense of identity. And as, as much as, as awesome as that scene is in that movie, uh, he is wrong. And I know I'm putting words in his mouth. I get that. But the world is wrong. 
and finding your identity in those things. Now hear me out. I'm not saying at all that uh, working to have a good reputation is a bad thing. I think it is incredible if when people hear your name, all this good stuff comes to mind. I think that we should work for that. In fact, that's one of the, that's one of the biblical qualifications for eldership. So yeah, I think it's good. Should you find worth, like, uh, not worth, but should you, find, should you be passionate about what you do? Whether it's your occupation, um, or your hobbies, or just things from your personality, or whatever. Should you be passionate about being a teacher? Should you be passionate about being a stay-at-home mom? Should you pass- be passionate about how God has put you together? Absolutely. Those things are amazing. I'm not saying that that's bad. And should we dig into those, those painful experiences, and should we dig into those really, really great victories that we've walked through, should those experiences be, be things that we see as, as, as shaping us and molding us and all that? Should that abs- absolutely, we should see those things for what they are. But that's the problem, is that a lot of times we, we, we don't see them for what they are. We see them as more than they actually are. See, those are all things that describe you. Those are not things that define you. There's a very, very big difference. And hopefully, with God's help, we'll be able to, uh, to let those things be descriptive and not definitive. And so what, what I want, would like to do is um, to really look at, okay, so what, what, really, what does the Bible say about identity? What does God say is the right way for us to look at ourselves? And in the most basic way that I can explain it, I think... The renewed mind concept that we're going for is if, okay, if the pattern of the world is that what people say about us and what we've been through and what we do, all those things define us. The renewed mind perspective that we're going for is that whatever God says about us, that defines us. Like he is the definer of all things. Go back to the last couple weeks, that's really what it all came down to is that the world tends to define God certain ways, but God, he defines himself. So in the world, people tend to find their identity in certain places. And for us as Christians, as people who are, who are saved by Jesus, we don't let those things define us. We let Him define us. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to um, bring up an old friend of ours called the Tupperware. And we're going to get into this a little bit. And so you may not know what that means. That's fine. Let's go to, go to 1 Corinthians 15 if you're not there already. And I want to... Um, If, let me, uh, sometimes I forget to say this. This whole concept originally came from uh, Louis Giglio. Uh, I listened to him preach this uh, recording a long time ago. And then I just kind of made it, like changed it up. But sometimes I forget to give him credit, and then I think that's a bad thing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21. This is what it says. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Alright? So when it comes to how do we define ourselves, the Bible defines us in one of two ways. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. That's it. You're in Adam, 
or you're in Christ. So our identity comes from what God says about us. So you're either in Adam and you are, uh, like, and people think a certain way about you and you do something for a living and that's your personality and your gifts and these are your experiences, or you're in Christ and, that's, and then people think a certain way about you and this is your, what you do for a living and your personality and gifts and your experiences. But identity comes from either being in Adam or in Christ. It's one, one place or the other. Um, and so in the midst of this chapter where Paul is basically saying that the, like if you ever wonder if your sins are forgiven, this is how you can know, because Jesus was raised from the dead. Like that's, that's like proof that, that that's a, a reality. He kind of drops this just phenomenal thing in here real quick, like just in case you missed this in the gospel. So through a man came death, and that man's name, as we see in 22, is Adam. So being in Adam, which is essentially what he's saying. Um, so here's, like, that would be you. Um, and at some point I colored it red, and I can't really remember why I did that. But I did. Um, so, th- so this is you when you're, when you're born. And, and so to be in Adam is, is essentially saying this. So Adam and Eve sinned against God. And God, because he is, is in his holiness, right, in, in the Garden of Eden... Uh, they sinned, his holiness would just completely destroy them. So him being gracious and kind and having a plan, he separated them from himself rather than destroy them. Because sin can't be in his presence. It, it gets eradicated, like, like darkness when light comes on. It's the same thing. So he separated them and like, got them some clothes and kind of sent them on their way and was like, this is what's going to happen now or whatever. And so they had kids, and they had kids, and they had kids, and they had kids. And then one day you were born. That's how it works. And so Adam and Eve being separate, that bloodline was passed to their kids, and their kids, and their kids. And I don't know where, they all, where all the other people came from, but they, were, they showed up at some point, and all these people were there, every one of them coming from Adam and Eve, and every one of them having that bloodline passed down. And so... You were born in Adam. That's what it's saying. You're born with that sin bloodline in you. And so this, this is going to represent you and me. And this is a golf ball. Because the first time I did it, we didn't have a smaller thing, Tupperware thing to go in here. So we just used a golf ball. And I intended to replace it. And I never did. So but that's, that's sin. And so there's sin in, in you. And so this is what it means when we're talking about being in Adam. It means you're born with that, that bloodline is, is in you. But also, there's, there's a world that we're born into that's out there. And so we're talking about not conforming to the patterns of this world. That's what we're essentially saying, um, is that, that here, here you are, with, you're born in Adam, and Adam is in you. Um, but you're also surrounded by this world that, that has this way of thinking and approaching life. And so this, this is the situation that we find ourselves in when we're born. Um, and... So, so you go about your life living this way. And so you're surrounded by this, all these attitudes and misperceptions and ways of thinking. All that stuff is affected by sin. And so you're, we're out there being taught that, like, that this is who God is, and this is how you define yourself, and this is, this is what this issue should look like, and this issue should look like, and this and this and this. All these lies, all these just terrible, just wrong things. But there's, like, the, the, the worst part about this whole deal 
I'm going to put it right there. The worst part about that whole situation is that there's not a thing that you or I could do to change it. So when you're born in Adam, there's, you can't do anything about it. And that sounds terrible, doesn't it? And that's how death came in. Death entered because the wages of sin is death. And so the wages of this, the byproduct of this, where this is going to ultimately land, is in death. And God did not create us to be dead. He created us to be alive. And so when it comes to identity in the world, they can try to find it in what people, in their reputation and what they do and their experiences. But the truth is, you're, you're in Adam. Like, that's what God says. And you can look at it in terms of uh, whatever, sheep and goats and light and darkness and... Uh, Wow, there's, just, there's all kinds of things in the Bible. But he's always saying, you're either this or this. You're either this or this. You're this or this. And so this is where we come from. And so, as by a man came death. Okay, that's in Adam, all die. Uh, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. In the other part, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so here's where, like this is to me like where the, the gospel first like took off for me several years ago and some of you were a part of the ring at this point when we started like God's kind of like started awakening some things and this whole deal this illustration uh, I think drove home some points that for some of us we always just needed we needed like a visual or something you know just to understand it a little bit more Um, and so identity became something more than just like oh yeah I guess we need to think about that this became something that was like trans like transformational for us years ago at the ring. It's become integrated in a lot of stuff that we teach. And so I know some of you are like, oh great, the Tupperware again. I already know all this. Okay, well, maybe so. But you're different than you were the last time we went through all this stuff. So let's just be open to what God wants to say because this should blow our minds all the time. So, um, so here's what happens. We get another stool over here. Um, so, alright, flip over. You can go ahead and turn there completely. Go to, go to Colossians chapter 1. Just go to the right, just a few pages. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister along, uh, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Okay, real quick. What he's basically saying, he's like, this is the whole reason that I'm here. Okay, God has entrusted this message to me. And he's going to talk about this mystery that was kept hidden for so long. Uh, if, when you read the, the Bible and you read about the Old Covenant and you read how God worked with people, there was, it was always that God was with them. So God was with Abraham. God was with Moses. Those, those kinds of things. And that was the idea that... Um, that they're, they're living their lives, and that God comes in, and He kind of comes alongside them a little bit. And so when, when God starts to bring word about a Messiah coming, they kind of thought the same thing. He's going to be born, which He was. He's going to be born in the line of David, and He's going to rise, and He's going to be the, the, he's going to one that basically be the restorer of Israel. So they had in their minds, uh, He's going to walk among us and be among us, and He's going to like with He'll be with us, and then we will we will like rise up, and we will be all that God wants us to be. Um, 
And so God kept something very special hidden from them for a long time, not because he's manipulative, but because I, think, I don't think they would have understood it. I, well, I don't think we still understand it, but um, there's just this mystery that was there. And so here, Paul, he's like, okay, this is, this is really what it comes down to. Um, verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of, of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may be present everyone, that we may, sorry, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Uh, for this I toil, struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so really what we're saying is the Messiah is not going to come and, and come alongside you. He's going to come and he's going to live in, like, inside of you. Like, that's the mystery. That's what they couldn't understand. It wasn't with, it was in. Not alongside, it's inside. That that is what makes the, that's a part of what makes the gospel really, really, really amazing. He says, no, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, when Jesus saves you, this is what happens. Um, that sin line is, uh, is purified by the blood of Jesus. And so that bloodline of Adam is like the darkness. And the purity of the blood of Christ is like the light. And it takes it from being sinful and dark to being holy and perfect. And so we take out the sin golf ball there. That. And this, that dude says Christ right there. And so Christ in you literally looks like this. When I was, when I was younger, it was, the question was always, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? It makes no sense when you're a kid. Like, you're a little kid, you're like, that, nobody can live inside my like, physical heart. We get a little older and we say, oh, that's, that's what they mean. Christ living in, in you. So Christ in you, the hope of glory, is another way of saying everything about your life being glorifying to God is made possible because Christ is in you. Everything. The hope of glory of your life being that life. Christ in you. So identity shifts. Pattern of the world, you find it in all these things. What God says is you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. So if you're a Christian and you're here today, that means that you're in Christ. That means that your identity is that right there. We say, who, who are you? Well, I'm, I'm in Christ. And this is what I do for a living. This is how my personality is, and this is what I've been through, or whatever. But it's not my, those, don't, those just describe me. This defines me right there. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But it doesn't stop there because we just looked at the verses that say you're in Christ. It doesn't say Christ is in you. I mean, that one we just read did, but the previous verses said that you're in Christ. And that's, that's part of it too. And so um, Christ does something else. He takes, takes here, and so... Christ is in you, but you're also in Christ. 
And so we close that up right there. And so Christ is both inside of you, but you're also you're like inside of him. Like there's this there's this there's that going on. There's this happening. And so when Jesus saves you, this happens too. Christ's in you and you're in Christ. If you look in chapter 3 of Colossians, starting verse 1, it says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So as if this doesn't get any better, he also takes your life and puts you inside of God. So there's the big box there. And so that goes inside of there, right? Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4 talk about our salvation being sealed by the Spirit of God. And so the Holy Spirit seals us in. And I would say, and it gets better from there, but you can't get better than this. What's better than Christ in you, and you're in Christ, and you and Christ are hidden together with God, sealed completely by the power of His Spirit? What, improve on that for me, real quick. Like, our identity doesn't get, it just doesn't get any better. The gospel cannot be, like, it doesn't, like, it's not like a 9 out of 10. You know, like, this is, this is phenomenal. And so... When it comes to, okay, who am I? This, this is who I am. And not only in the sense that, like, because of the gospel, this is who I am, but also when God looks at you, this is what he, this is what he sees. He sees Christ in you, and he sees Christ, uh, he sees you and Christ in you in Christ, and he sees himself. That's just what he, what he looks at, that's what he sees, he sees that. And so, our identity comes from this. Who, who cares what you do for a living? Who cares what you've been through? Who cares about all these different stats that we tend to throw out there about identity? Who cares about all that stuff that Maximus said in that quote, when this is, this is your reality? What this does is this, this reframes all those other things. So maybe saying who cares, maybe that's a bit overstated. This reframes those things. So when your sense of identity, when this is the renewed mind perspective, and you're being transformed in how you view yourself, and this is where you're hanging out, yes, we pursue uh, having a good reputation, like a good name, like you want, of course you want that in your life. But you know what? When someone at work just doesn't like you, no matter how, like, how good you are or whatever, Someone starts a rumor about you. Or, let's say you just, you just mess up. You struggle. You make some bad decisions and people start talking or whatever. Your identity doesn't change with your reputation. It doesn't fluctuate. And so, when you're secure here, it's going to be tough when people don't like you or talk bad about you or whatever. But it doesn't change this. So in that sense, your reputation, it carries the right amount of weight in your mind when you're secure in your identity. If you're finding your identity in that pattern of the world, then you're all over the place trying to keep everybody happy and keep everybody approving you and this and this and this. But when you're here, you know that in the kingdom, and in the kingdom you're fine. 
Because Jesus has made you new. And he looks at you and he says, you're in Christ. They can say what they want. This is the bottom line. When it comes to what we do, it, this reframes that stuff. We look at, at our jobs, or you look at what you do for a living, or what you do throughout your day. We look at hobbies and all those kind of things. You just look at them differently. If you're conforming to the pattern of the world, if, you're, if, everything you, if your whole identity is in your job and you lose your job, what happens? People don't know what to do with themselves. When the economy changes and all this stuff, people are like, I don't really know. But over here, you're like, well, doing that for a living, that's, I mean, God's just provided a job for me to do that. He's put me in a context of relationships to be able to glorify Him and represent Him in that workplace. Or He's, he's, like, he's called me to be a stay-at-home mom, and so I'm going to take care of my kids all for His glory. And those things can change. If you find all your identity in being a stay-at-home mom and your kids grow up and don't need you anymore, what happens then? Well, you're in Christ. You're fine. If you find your identity in being an outdoorsman and no deer walk on your property that year and, you know, whatever. And you think I'm crazy. People really like, get hung up in that stuff. So all of our hobbies and all those things that we do, when you're here, you're secure. And so those things can fluctuate and change and grow over time and those kind of stuff. And you, but you know, I'm... This is who I am. Those are things I do. This is who I am. There's a difference. And your experiences, the greatest things you've walked through and the most painful things you've walked through, this is still your identity through both of those. Great things don't mean that God's blessing you and when bad things happen, it doesn't mean that He's ripped all this apart and you've undone all this somehow and you're like back over there where where you started. No, God is still... He's still walking you through that stuff. He's still the unchangeable, holy God that we've been talking about. And so having a a correct sense of identity reframes all that stuff. And so Maximus was driven to revenge because of all those things. This has a driving force for us. It's a game changer for us. And so what happens most of the time is that the more we grow in understanding this, we go from being horribly insecure to realizing that we are loved. That Jesus did this because He loves us. So for you who struggle with like, feeling like God really loves you, you know, that God really is for you, that the songs we sing about apply to you, that the scriptures we read are, are really for, like, for you. This, this is who you are. There's nothing, nothing that changes that for you. And this is the gracious work of Jesus because you and I were here and we couldn't do anything about it. And he set out to change that. And so I think that there's, I think we could apply this in a couple of different ways. But I think one, some of you have come a long way in your sense of identity. Like those patterns that we talked about, that, that, at one point that was you so much. 
you were, you were shackled to the opinions of others and identifying yourself with what you did and those experiences. And God has transformed your life by renewing your mind in regard to this. And I pray that He will, that you, I pray that you'll let Him encourage you in your growth. I think that's important. And so some of you, I believe that God will, I think He'll take this and this is what, that's what He'll do in your mind. It's kind of just be like, well done. You're doing good. I think for others, it'll, there'll be some, some correctiveness here. Some, some uh, you've been finding your worth and your value in, some, in, in the wrong things. And Jesus saying, let me, let me renew your mind and transform your life and help you break free from those patterns of finding your worth and your value and your identity in the wrong stuff. And I pray that, if that's you, if the, I pray that you'll let him do that. Because this is, this is awesome. I mean, Jesus is worth that. And there's probably some tonight, you're not sure, you're not sure if you're in Adam or if you're in Christ. You're not, not sure which of these would really be what is describing, I mean, defining your identity. And if that's you, I would just encourage you to just talk to Jesus about it. You know, we don't, we don't do invitations and stuff like that here very often. There's reasons for that. If you want to know, I'll tell you later. But I think that sometimes we rob people of some of the most important conversations they'll ever have by turning it into like an echo after me situation. And so it really doesn't matter what you say. And so if you're not sure where you are, you don't have to leave here unsure. I would encourage you in these next few minutes as we start to wrap up, just pray. And then when we're done, I would encourage you to talk to somebody about it. Come find me. Just look around. If you came with somebody, talk to them. It's good to process it with people. I'm not saying don't do that. But I am saying I'm not going to rob you of that conversation because I think between you and God, that's about as, as precious and treasured of a conversation as you'll ever have. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing a little bit in response. The big idea, though, that I think we need to walk away with tonight is look what God has done for us. And look at who He has made us into. From a situation we couldn't change, God has made Christ in you, the hope of glory, real and tangible. And not something that we hope to aspire to. You know, one day, maybe this will happen or whatever. No, no. Right here in this room, this is real. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, every time I go through this, Lord, I'm just so blessed by the simplicity, really, of what what the gospel looks like for us. And... uh, Just the beauty of what you have done in taking uh, an undeserving group of people and taking us from being sinners, making us into saints. God, that we are not the ones we used to be. So Lord, for those who have grown in this area, I do pray that you would encourage them tonight. And for those who need some redirection and and finding identity and self-worth, pray that you would speak very clearly. And God, for those who are in Adam, I pray, Lord, that the next few minutes would be be life-changing. 
you would help just ease their fears about being sure what to say and just encourage them just to talk to you. Just express that belief in who you are and that this is what you've come to do for them. And then when we wrap up, Lord, would you allow some connections to be made among us that we could follow up a little bit. But Lord, all of this All of this is because you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. You're good to all and have compassion on all that you've made. You've taken our sin and you've separated it from us. You have made us new starting with the inside, and that is now working its way out. We thank you, God, that that mystery that was kept hidden for so long, that we are able now to see it so clearly. That your plan this whole time was not to come alongside us, but to live in us. So help us, Lord, to respond to this goodness.